I do love fiercely. I love my people. I love my daughter, my grandchildren, my husband, my son-in-law, my family, my friends. And and I just, I, I hope that I'm remembered for, that I just like to experience joy and in the experiences that we have together. A new diagnosis has a way of clarifying the things that are important. We all age, we all get sick, we all die. There's deep meaning to be found in living with a serious illness. There's fun to be had in someone's last days. And there's a lot to be learned from a person whose finish line is in sight. The conversation you're about to hear is about sharing experiences, finding what's meaningful, leaving space for sadness, leaning into grief, laughing about absurdities, and thinking together about an experience that we will all have someday. My name is Cody Huffstedler. I'm a palliative care chaplain in Denver, Colorado, and I interview people who are coming to the end of their life. One of the things I love most about doing this project is the ability to show you what I've been learning over the last decade of working in the hospital, and that's this. No two illnesses are the same. No two people are the same. No two stories are the same. Sure, you may be able to identify some similarities if you see it often enough, but even after almost 13 years of working as a chaplain in a hospital, I'm still learning new things and seeing people surprise me with how they approach living life with a serious illness. And I'm still surprised when I see people outlive their prognosis, flying past their prescribed finish line, intent on living each day as well as they can. If you've seen one person live with a serious illness, well, you've seen one person live with a serious illness. Sia emailed me a couple of months ago. She sent me her story over email, and we talked on the phone, and I knew immediately that she'd be a wonderful guest for the podcast. I think you'll find her story engaging and her dedication touching. Please enjoy this story of perseverance and love. This is Dying to Tell You. All right. Good. Um, all right. So you're Sia. Um, maybe, maybe just give us a little introduction. You don't have to go into a ton of detail, but just you know who you are and where you are, and um, then we can kind of go into uh, diagnosis. Okay. Well, I am a wife to Rob, who is my hero. He makes sure everything happens behind the scenes from taking care of all the insurance to, oh, making sure I get to my appointments, which are four hours away that we have to travel over a pass and, oh, all the finances and everything, scheduling. Um, I'm a mama to Ashley and I'm a grandma to... Two of my grandchildren, Emma, who's 11, and Isaac, who's 7, and a mother-in-law to Kyle. Um, I'm a licensed mental health counselor in private practice, although I'm not seeing as many clients as I wish at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, I love to cook, and I listen to R&B music throughout the whole day. Um, <laughs> and I love fiercely. I have amazing friends and family and I'm very protective and, um, and I'm a dog lover and that's kind of me. Yeah. What, uh, how many dogs do you have? We don't have any currently, but we've had six no, Rhodesian no Ridgebacks. Yeah. And so over the wow. years and, um, oh, I wish we did. I wish we had them. And yeah, but I, it, in a way, I mean, I would have, we would have two right now, but, um, with everything going on, there would just be no way. Yeah. Well, let's get into what's going on. So in 2021, you got a diagnosis what was um, what was happening or what made you think that something was wrong? 
You know, um, I had breast cancer prior, 12 years ago, almost to this day. And that's what led to the angiosarcoma, the current cancer that I have now. I developed breast cancer and I had immediately after having surgery, removing the left breast and lymph nodes, because I had quite a few that were involved, I developed lymphedema in my left arm and extremely so. And as a result, after having chemo and radiation, it, it just kept getting worse and worse. I then had reconstruction surgery and that didn't go very well, but, um, but my reconstruction, um, my um, plastic surgeon, she was a colleague of another plastic surgeon who did, was renowned for facial reconstruction and lymph node transplants. And so she reported. Oh right, yeah. And I believe it really um, prolonged my uh, just my not getting the secondary cancer um, because Mm -hmm. he was able to transfer lymph nodes from my groin to my axilla, and then lymph nodes in this in my wrist area because my arm was so like swollen i mean just out to here it was so painful and i couldn't wear regular clothing and and that was life changing i could it almost brought it back to normal size and took away the pain and swelling and so i was able to go a couple of years without um there was no there was cancer free and and we were mm-hmm. living our best life we were just build our our dream house. We were beginning to talk about, okay, what's retirement like? And, and Mm -hmm. we were traveling and spending tons of time with our grandkids. And, and I was in the best shape of my life too. I was strength training, but I, I began about in 2021 in January, began to notice bruising in my arm. It was really strange. It was yellow and it was painful. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that I, I wonder if this is due to like injury, you know, or from lifting weights. And, um, but it just progressed. And I also had, at that time, I was going to get another lymph node transfer to continue the process in my arm. And we just happened to have an appointment with the plastic surgeon and, he was able to look at it and he goes, I think that's an infection, you know, maybe like cellulitis. So I was put on mm-hmm. uh, antibiotics and it didn't go away. It was increasing the bruising. It started looking red and blue. And so we did a biopsy and sure enough, it was angiosarcoma. And from mm-hmm. that minute on, it became a ferocious beast and just took over. Yeah. Backing up a little bit, I'm curious about how it felt um, when you got your original di- diagnosis, the breast cancer, and I-, I imagine there was some emotional reaction when you when you got that diagnosis, and then probably some relief after the treatment and everything, and getting back to more or less normal. Um, would you just talk a little bit about that, and then we can talk a little bit about what happened when you got your your secondary diagnosis boy that threw us for a loop getting breast cancer because also it was almost like one of our best times in our life uh, our daughter had just gotten married we were doing a lot of skiing and i remember after a ski trip my husband and i both noticed just this little puckering of the skin and we were going we didn't mention it to each other we just kind of thought well that's a barnacle of life that the body has and um, <laughs> I know. And then one day I heard audibly, it was like, touch your breast. There's a lump. And I felt it. Huh. And yeah. I knew. And I missed my mammogram the year before. My daughter, there was so much going on mm-hmm. with my daughter's wedding. I skipped it. And my mother had breast cancer and I knew better. Mm. And things just went, you know, when you get diagnosed, it just goes so quickly. There is no time to think really. It is boom, 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 appointments, biopsies, surgery, treatment, um, 
I, I think our heads were spinning and we were just yeah. like in shock and awe most of the time. Yeah. I've heard people say it feels a little bit like a runaway train. You just, um, you get that thing that happens and then, yeah, like you said, boom, boom, boom. You're all of a sudden in an infusion chair somewhere yeah. getting, getting treatment or on a, on a table getting surged. And um, before you even really know it, have a chance to react. That's what it was like. That's what it was like. Mm. And then with this, it, you know, I, I really praise God that we live in Washington state, that we are just right across the state, have one of the top sarcoma research centers, because I don't think I would have been diagnosed. I would have. I think there would have been so much time of trying to figure this out that no mm -hmm. one would have known and the, how rapidly this was progressing. I don't think I'd be here if I didn't yeah. have an appointment. And, um, and actually it was my lymphedema massage therapist that in her training, it, it was she that I've only seen this in my training and heard about it but ask about it. And we did, and they did it. They did the biopsy. And so, wow. Did you know that, that, that there was some kind of a, a possibility that something like, like that would happen? No, <laughs> I don't know if nobody had ever. Knows. No, I don't think anyone yeah. talks about lymphedema and radiation and breast cancer and the severity of that secondary cancer that can occur. Yeah. 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 So you got your diagnosis, I mean, not not accidentally, but you just have right place, right time, right? <laughs> or right right place, right people. Yes, um, right people. Yeah. And when you heard that, uh, how did that feel? How was that? It is so interesting because when it comes to my family or my daughter, my grandchildren, my clients, my husband... Um, I am just right there with just that um, being with them and the emotion and um, mm -hmm. and coming alongside of them and and I've just found this so interesting about myself is that I become very stoic and very kind of matter of fact and then I also am the perfect patient. And oh, yeah, that is not me. I am very much a boundary setter and and ask for what I need. And and so I've become this very interesting patient. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. The um, I wonder what that is, because I, I I'm very much the same way when when something happens to me. Uh, you know, all the emotion, just I shut it down and I kind of retreat. I'm a very insular person, less so as I become more aware of it. But um, that's my tendency is just to kind of, hmm, I don't need to talk about it. I don't need to think about it. I just shut it down. And very much like you, I want to be the best patient or whatever it is that I can be. Yes. I want to be so, uh, I want people to, I want you know, like I want the doctor to go home at night and tell their spouse, I just had the best patient today. Oh my gosh, you, know, you described it. Why? <laughs> why? It wasn't the what is that about? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. It is. That's so funny. Well, I can just imagine, um, I, I don't know, wind out of your sail, kind of a punch in the gut. It's one thing to get a diagnosis. It's another thing to think you're through it and then have it happen to you again. And, and I just, I mean, how did, how did that feel to get that, um, to know you're going to go through this again? In a way, it was a little uncharted territory because mm. it wasn't as fluid as with the breast cancer because also, um, the seriousness and the voraciousness of it. And I never saw tumors in my life before. Um, I even worked in hospice in the early 90s and none of our patients I really saw 
active tumors on their body. But mine had become, took over the whole arm and were bleeding and black. And um, we were changing bandages every 30 minutes. And um, and so they, they were talking about um, amputating my arm. Because at that time, it had not metastasized. It just stayed in my arm. And so um, this was just a whole different thing we were dealing with. And right. so nothing took that cor- normal course that I had experienced yeah. before. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I've been working in palliative care in the hospital for 10 years. I've seen four or five people that have visible tumors. You just don't see it very often. Mm-hmm. I can imagine um, how difficult it would be to see a part of yourself that's actively kind of betraying you. I, I noticed that you do have two arms. Yes, I do. So they have, <laughs> they decided not to take it off. Well, how did that happen? And the cancer metastasized to my chest and okay. that took it off the table because they would have had right. to really, they talked about even going that far. Um, oh, no kidding. Yes. And, ah. um, but because it metastasized, they were able to get all the more margins um, in the biopsy. And I think that was that was God that did that, because we also had we um, prior to um, the decision not to amputate it, we met with the physician that was going to make my arm, my prosthetic, which was like one of the most mm-hmm. fantastic appointments I ever had. We this man wow. was so amazing, but I was not a candidate for the electrical, you know, the mechanic like the arm, bionic arms. My grandson yeah. loved that, um, but um, because of this reconstruction that I had, I didn't have the muscle or the nerves to be able to move the arm, and they are so heavy. So I would have ended up with a Barbie arm, and right. um, and so I would have done it, but that would have been sure. inconvenient. But we've not had to deal with that, and mm-hmm. I have not metastasized since. So it is no more spreading in my arm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Later on in the night, when the crowds have gone, we could talk under moonlight till dawn. Mm-hmm. We could stay to watch the sunrise. So, um, the second secondary diagnosis and um, decided not to amputate your arm. And now you're sitting down and talking to an oncologist about what treatment you will have. And um, I know you told me before that there have been several different kinds of treatment that you've had since then. Would you tell me, uh, I don't guess you have to go through every little one, but maybe kind of how that process has gone. What was the conversation like with your oncologist when he or she talked to you about uh, chemotherapy treatment? Um, well, luckily, the plastic surgeon, he was very good friends with my oncologist, and he knew that he was beginning a trial for angiosarcoma, and they immediately got me over there to, um, it, at that time it was Seattle Cancer Care, and now it's Fred Hutch and through Uner- University of Washington Hospital. And so they immediately got me in. And there's not many trials for angiosarcoma because it's so rare and they have to look for people all over the world. And I was a candidate, so I started on that, um, the trial. but. Within days of being on the trial, the cancer just exploded. And so I had to be taken off. So, so when you started on that trial, would they, did he talk to you at all about kind of the effectiveness or what they're hoping for with that chemotherapy? You know, I don't remember. I think we were just so hopeful. And my husband was done, doing tons of research. He was getting on different research um, oh, different websites and get it, you know, he was 
he was almost ahead of those like them and and just knowing what was coming down the pipeline so we were just so hopeful and we didn't know really what we were dealing with um still mm-hmm. with angiosarcoma and what it all meant and it's in the blood right. vessels so it's it's a little different oh and and also we were just so hopeful you know we were ready to do anything and even though it was um so painful and everything um they had real the doctor i was kind of stressing um you don't really have very long to live but we're gonna hit this as hard as we can we're gonna do everything he had given us like you have about three months to live and i remember hearing that and um thinking just because you say that it doesn't mean it's true and we were just so hopeful and just going you know we'll just we're gonna just throw everything at this whatever we can well we're up for anything mm-hmm. even the amputation mm-hmm. but as things were progressing and the chemos going on different chemos and the different types of treatments we kept asking him and at one point he got so angry at us and in fact he goes do not even ask me again i already told you it was like okay like this has got to be so hard i can't imagine how many times he tells people about their prognosis and and so we we're, we're gonna we'll be even i thought oh my gosh no he's not gonna like me anymore and <laughs> we never, we i'm not gonna asking. be the best patient <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh. that's so yeah. funny yeah, I mean, I think that's important to uh, to say that it's a difficult place for uh, any doctor, I'm sure, to be. And I work with doctors uh, all the time who have to tell people what they think about what their prognosis is. And um, while it's, I think, important for people to know what typically uh, a person's prognosis is, People surprise us all the time, and any, almost any doctor will tell you they're really bad at guessing. <laughs> they're making their, I mean, they develop their opinion based on their experience and what they know from the research. People surprise us all the time, and uh, for somebody to hear you have three months or months to live, it's important to know that it's not as though doctors hold time and give it to people so that they can live. (laughs) That's not how that works. They're making educated guesses about how long a person is going to live with what they have based on their experience and their research. I mean, nobody's giving you any time. You have whatever time you have and, um, you, you get to, you get to spend it and approach all that however you want to. Um, it sounds like what you and your husband have done is continue to be hopeful that you have more time because mm-hmm. you're enjoying your life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. You said that you've been through several lines of chemotherapy. How has that been? I can imagine difficult, but tell me. I'm on my 11th right now. And um, so there have been trials and chemo and immunotherapy and targeted therapy and chemo. Um, and you know, I, I seem to do the best on the harshest ones. Um, like doxorubicin, they call it the red devil. And that's actually my favorite. I did so great. Um, although <laughs> my husband would say, oh my gosh, it almost killed you several times because I become neutropenic. And my white blood count yeah. is so low and I get hospitalized. And, and that messes with my schedule, all of our schedules. And, oh, I worry my daughter and my husband and my family. And But that was like the best. I felt the best on that one. So not as many, not as many side effects? Is that what you mean? Yeah. And I had energy and, um, yeah, it was the side effects, the least amount of side effects. And so what was the worst part about any of your chemotherapies? Probably when I was on um, gemcetabine and taxotere. Um, and that was after they tried the trial and the, and the cancer was just progressing so quickly. And 
the gemcetabine gave me fevers and the taxotere was just, it impacted my liver and um, my lungs and um, I could not be on it very long, but um, it did the job to get those tumors under control and that we can then continue with the other therapies. Because it seems like I get progression every four to five months and get tumors. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I'll have to have radiation or, or start an, and start another chemo. Wow. So every four to five months, yeah. Yeah. There's some there's some kind of a progression. And that's been since April of 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's when I got diagnosed. So I'm, I started having little symptoms. I'm not that January before, yeah. I'm not good at math, but that seems like a lot. It's 3 years. Obviously, you know, you're on your 11th, <laughs> yeah, you're on your 11th line of treatment, chemotherapy, immunotherapy and all that. And this is a new one. Was this the first uh, round of treatment, the first of this kind that you had on Monday? I'm on gemcetabine and dicarzepine, I think. And I've never been on the dicarzepine. So I'm not sure what really is in store. I know it's going to, I'll probably have some neutropenia with this because, and also being on chemos before. So I just not looking forward to it, kind of messing with just mm-hmm. my life and time with just <laughs> my family and seeing clients and yeah. friends and Yeah. That's the bummer of it all. It's in it, well, it's inconvenient for sure. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. How often do you how often do you have to go? Every two weeks now. And four cycles. Okay. And you said you're starting to feel a little bit not great. Yeah. Yeah. It, I feel okay. chemoed <laughs> and nauseous. Yeah. And- that's a that's a feeling that not many not many people know. <laughs> I know. Um you're so so nausea and what else? Dizzy. Um a little lightheaded and and oh the fatigue. I have to, sometimes I walk across the room and I have to rest on the table on the mm-hmm. counter and catch my breath and, and then I'm ready to go. Um, but that fatigue whew, kicks my booty. Yeah. Fatigue for a lot of people, it just sounds like, Oh, you're just tired. It's not that bad, but it is that bad. And I think a lot of people really, um, struggle with fatigue because it really it zaps your, the quality of your life. It really makes it hard to do anything at all. Um, so no, no fun. It's like on a cellular level, this fatigue. It's um, it's not really describable in a way. So what will you do, you know, in the next few days? Do you think that um, you'll end up kind of hunkering down and um, being chemoed? Or do you think you're going to um, <laughs> kind of get up and, and do your thing? Well, actually, this is the best time, too, because I'm on steroids. And so um, I'm <laughs> feeling all this. I'm on steroids for a few, uh, several days. Yeah. I don't sleep very much. So I usually get up and mm-hmm. I do a lot of cleaning. And, oh, and I have great ideas because I have lots of thoughts going on. And I plan vacations. <laughs> and, and all my poor friends, I, I really hope they forgive me in texting them in the middle of the night. And I'm very talkative, all at the same time of feeling all those other things. So, um, but these right. few days are usually <laughs> the best days during the cycle. <laughs> it's a good day for the road. And time goes so fast. When you with the ones you love. It seems like you have, for the last 
three years or yeah about three years mm, I, I guess that's a question then um, has it affected your quality of life or how has it affected your quality of life and what adjustments have you made while you've been getting chemotherapy treatment for the or treatment for the cancer for the last three years all the things that I have really loved to do I can't do them fully um, and it's really changed the trajectory of our life of what we've planned and so with the energy that I have and in between time between treatments I just try and make sure that I spend as much time with my daughter and my grandchildren and we still plan things with our friends and we've tried to travel and and um, and I just want as much joy out of every experience that I have and I don't have a bucket list or, or anything like that I just want our everyday life especially for my daughter and my grandkids that it's the same and that it's there that they don't miss a beat because of me um, mm. and I just want them to have experiences this is about them this time is about my daughter and my husband and for them to create memories and so that's my focus and how I spend my time yeah you seem like the kind of person that would be that way anyway but I imagine that being sick um, has impacted that. Um, is is that true? Has has being sick impacted the way that you spend your time? Yeah. Or how you see it? Yeah. Yeah, it has. I have to gather that energy to get up and do and and follow through, regardless of how I feel. Yeah. 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 Which, um, I guess brings me to, uh, another question, which is you've way outlived your three months, um, <laughs> that <laughs> you were given. What do you think about that? I guess. I'm blown away, but also I'm not surprised yeah. because I just, um, I just know that I'm not dying. Um, I just know God has something in store for me and I'm to be around for my daughter and my grandchildren and my husband. In October, we hit almost that two year mark and we're, no, it was two and a half, two and a half years. And my, and my husband um, asked the doctor, well, it's two and a half years, and see is still here. Um, how many of your sarcoma patients have lived past two years? And she was very quiet. And she said, and I knew she didn't want to answer, but she said, none. And mm -hmm. it just, it was like, wow. And we've been told this, that my cancer, and I am, how I'm, reacted to it and being here and just being alive it's i'm kind of like a unicorn this is like they it's like uncharted territory and i think i told you like my when my oncologist would walk in the door and at each appointment he, it was like watching a seinfeld show like kramer walking into the door and he would burst in and then be <laughs> like shocked and like that would be his expression every time he would see me after every appointment at each appointment like whoa you're so you're still here. You look really good, and so mm -hmm. we've just kind of kept going with that. So we're just gonna keep yeah. on going. Yeah. And I think there's gonna be good trials, and we'll try the old chemos that didn't work. Maybe they always have something in their back pocket, and so mm -hmm. we'll just keep going. My question then is, um, why you? Why are you? Um, getting this positive, you know, response and beating, beating this three months thing and living longer than anybody else with this cancer. Uh, why you and not somebody else? Why, you know, what, what do you make of that? I think it's, it's God. Um, that is the, that is the only 
answer, I have. I'm not to leave. And also if all the trials that I could be on and anything for research, I am so excited to be part of that, that because this is such a rare cancer and so much more is, um, could be known about it. And to get the word out like that this is a cancer that breast cancer people who had had breast cancer could get with lymphedema and radiation. And so I think that's a part of it and I want to be part of it. Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. why helping other people. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Helping other people. And, and maybe just, I'm positive. I'm, I'm just, um, I would just have a different frame of mind. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but for, um, above all it's God. Which is really hard. I mean, um, I've been working with people with terminal illness, cancer, and other things for lots of lots of years, and um, I've seen people of great faith uh, live for a long time, and I've seen people of great faith die very quickly, and um, it's hard for people to square that when um, people give give credit to God for prolonging life, and um, yet we find that people of faith also die. And um, I don't know. I th- I just think that's hard. Do you yes. have thoughts on that? I wonder about that too. And and right. Yeah. Why? Why me? Um, if I were to have died very quickly, I would have been ready. Not that I would want to ever leave my daughter. I I I need to live to and be her mama. I, I that the thought of leaving her just cuts me at my knees. Um, and but I don't know. I I don't know why me. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, I mean I. <laughs> I don't know either, and um, I think that uh, there probably isn't a good answer for this, and I always say there's no justice. It's not as though um, one person deserves it more than another or one person needs it more than another, but I I, I really appreciate what you just said, which is I'm grateful. Mm -hmm. That's I mean, that's Mm -hmm. as good of an answer as anything else. Mm -hmm. I'm just happy that it is me and um yeah i think that may maybe that's enough just being grateful for for the way that it is mm. Mm. yeah how long how long do you think you're gonna live well my husband always holds the hope like anytime i have symptoms and any mm-hmm. anything um and progression he's like don't no, that's not. No, that that oh, that redness is because it's getting better. And um, <laughs> but it could be. It could be any time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I my my dream would be thirty years, so I could see my grandchildren get married and have kids. <laughs> And then I'll be in my 90s. Right. That would be my dream. Um, no, oh, I don't that's know. So long. Body, can a body be on chemo that long? <laughs> oh, no, I'm no expert. Yeah, <laughs> that would make things really good. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. What What is it? Um, how is it for you living knowing that? that it it could really be any time does that um come to mind from time to time how do how do you live with that it's in the background all day every day as i go to sleep i'm grateful when i wake up and i just lord thank you and i'm grateful like mm. i go to bed thank you lord and but it is it's the back it's in the background the, it's a it's a beast it is just yeah. a prowling beast. Yeah, I don't know. I guess 
part of me is um, in the same boat because I work with people who die all the time, and I'm always thinking about, oh, well, I really could die at any time. And that's the truth. There's there's no guarantee that any of us are going to make it through the next day. But um, how how do you cope with that that reality that you know you could come to the end of your life at any time? I think it's more that's... it's you know it's more uh, immediate for you. Yeah, I think that's where that stoic part comes in, and when things happen or however I feel or symptoms or um, the side effects or, you know, becoming septic or something, you know, when those possibilities really could happen, I just become very matter of fact, stoic. um, And I just walk on through. Um, I'm more concerned Mm. about my daughter and my husband uh, Mm -hmm. and how it's impacting them and mm-hmm. worrying them that's oh i hate worrying them and and not keeping our routine going um but i just get kind of almost like an emt when you hit it they have an emergency and they have to address things and we're just taking care of business and mm-hmm. that's what we're gonna do and there's no emotion with it um yeah what are you worried is gonna happen to your daughter and your husband what are you worried about i don't want my daughter to be without a mom and i need to be here i need to be her mom every day um we talk every day we interact every day um i gotta be a grandma to those babies it's a mom I shouldn't leave my daughter this early. Ugh, that just, ooh. And then my husband, I worry about him. I don't, I'm not sure how he's going to deal with my losing me. Um, he has my daughter and, and family and friends, and, but um, I'm not sure how he'll do. Yeah. Hard to think about. Um, yeah, I think a, a lot of people don't think about that at all. It's hard to think about. It's hard to think about saying goodbye. One of the things that I've carried with me for a long time that a patient said to me um, is just uh, she was nearing the end of her life, and um, she knew it, and she said it's just the letting go that's so hard. And I think that's, I mean, that is a, that's a deep truth that it's the letting go that's so hard on both sides. I think the the sick person knows that they're letting go of life and their people, and the people around them know that they're letting go of the person who's dying, and that's really, really hard. I wonder, have you talked to them at all about that, about the difficulty that you're feeling, about worrying about them and all that? We, we have, my husband wish I would talk more and mm. he wants me to write my, like the, doing this actually, he really wanted me to do because I think it really, it's, we've been just taking care of business and kind of dealing with what's been in front of mm. us. And, you know, here I am a therapist. I talk about this stuff, right. and, but I find I, I don't want, I, I avoid it with him because I see his pain, but I, but this is really opening just even the preparing for talking to you has brought it to the forefront for us to, for him to talk about his pain. My daughter Mm -hmm. and I, we talk and, um, in fact, we've been following hospice Julie, (laughs) um, since I was, um, first diagnosed and we've been talking about the whole process and, um, and even the end stages like that and and what we want. Like when I first was diagnosed, we really talked to her husband and I and Rob and, and, and Ashley. We talked about just what this all means and what we want to do at this time. And um, so we have just really good communication. I think it's my worry for my husband that it's not the same 
conversation because um, I think he's that his loss is going to be pretty profound. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, this is, we're on our way there. We're talking yeah. more about it. Yeah. Yeah. If you could say what you want to say to them, what do you think it would be? Uh, if you're thinking about the letting go, which is really the hardest part, what would you want to tell them about the letting go? About mm. them letting go and about you letting go? Well, I'm, I know I'm going to see them. I know, well, one, I'm, I am, it, I'm okay with dying and I'm ready. And I think about what, like living, like living, but dying, I'm missing them now, but I know in a flash of time, I will see them. So I'm aware mm. of that. I want to make sure that we have had enough time and experience and memories that in their grieving and their missing, that they're comforted. And I want them to feel just um, a sense of me. And and I know that they've got, they believe in Jesus and God and are comforted. And that feels so good. I just don't want them to be sad. Um, and, mm -hmm. But I know it's the missing and the longing and the loss. And I want them to grieve but yeah. not mourn. Hmm. Yeah, it's so hard. I hear people say that <laughs> a lot just um on on both sides of it. I don't want I don't want the person to see me crying and then the the sick person saying I don't want them to be sad. And uh I mean you know this as well as anybody else that it can't be avoided. No. Because that's the cost we pay for loving people <laughs> is that when we leave, which inevitably we will, um, we will be sad about it and you wouldn't want them to be happy that no. you've died. So, <laughs> so it's just, it's one of those things. It's a, it's an inevitable, uh, a difficult truth about loving people deeply, which you said at the beginning is you, you're, you love deeply and it, it comes with some trade-offs there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does. yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really hard. I like how you put it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. How are they doing? They're doing good. My husband, Rob, oh, I think he calls up and down. This has really impacted his health. Mm. Um, his body has really taken the hit. He was so in shape, a skier, racquetball player, just really could do anything and it really has taken a toll on his body. His body is kind of being the voice for what he doesn't express. Yeah. Funny how those things kind of come out regardless. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, I guess there it's a whole package of stuff that comes along with a uh, serious illness that yeah. um, affects, affects a lot of people, you know, affects everybody involved. Yeah. And I, and I keep lingering. I keep staying. So we keep <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you probably prefer it that way. Right. Stay It's been a long mentioned that you know you'll see your family again is there do you have a particular belief or thought about afterlife or how it will be to get to the other side yeah 
um, well, as a Christian, um, I just know I'm going to heaven. And I feel so comforted about that. And I just feel God and, and Jesus is just, I, it, their arms are wrapped around me at all times. And, and I just, I can't wait for a new body. And that just is so comforting. And so that's what makes it be okay. And so I'm good. I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. I just have an amazing relationship with God and Jesus. I really do. And just so yeah. grateful for that. Yeah. It sounds like it's really comforting. A lot of times I hear people say, I'm not worried about being dead, but the process of dying uh, worries me. Is there any part of that, the the process of dying, that is um, concerning or worrisome to you? You know, I don't think about it much. I think I probably was going, went through some of that at the in the beginning because mm-hmm. it was so close. Um, right. But I feel like um, I will be given comfort care and hospice and just taking care of those pain needs and and all that all the that go with the dying process and i'm not afraid of that i've seen it oh yeah and um i only asked that my family would make sure my mouth is closed all the time and i have lipstick (laughs) on (laughs) (laughs) you You want to make sure you have lipstick on. I love that. I think that is so great. (laughs) Maybe my wig. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, it looks looks great over the video here. Thank you. I am known for my lipstick. That's so great. Yes. (laughs) That's so great. Um, Have you thought, have you thought much about, when would be the time for hospice? Obviously, you're aware of hospice and what it is and what it can provide for people. And um, obviously, you're getting a lot of, you've been through a lot of chemotherapy and you've had a lot of side effects. A lot of people go through one or two rounds of chemotherapy and say, you know, that's enough. It's it's really uh, affecting the quality of my life and I'm not, I'm not into it and I'm going to, I'm going to forego any more treatment and be done. I can also see how important it is for you to live longer and um, that you're willing to put up with more side effects and it takes courage to make either decision to to go forward with more treatment, which you've done way more than most people. Um, it also takes courage to say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore and I'm going to come to the end of my life. Have you thought about what it would take or what at what point you would say, I'm done with that and um, coming to the end of my life is the, the way I'm going to go now? I don't think I'll ever be done with treatment. I will continue until I think um, I'm told, I think, because I have to I have to pursue all the treatment for my daughter, daughter's sake. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I have a choice there. Um, and do you have you? It, well, if you haven't, she's about to hear. But have you talked to her about that? Yeah, we have, and that, and even with how, breast cancer, it was. How how does she respond to that? Thank you, mom. Thank you. Wow, that's yeah. sweet. Yeah, yeah, that's sweet. And yeah. so I sat in a in a family meeting with uh, my team, my palliative care team, and an oncologist uh, talking to a patient who had come to a place where no more treatment was going to be offered. And the way the oncologist put it was, and this was, I thought, really, really great. He said, "Um, I know that you have been very interested, committed to living as long as you possibly can. And I feel like now I've and I've been on board with that for this whole time. I've been giving you chemotherapy every time something came up. And now we're to the point where if I were to give you more chemo, it would shorten your life and it would do the opposite of what what we're hoping for because we're committed to living as long as possible. And so I'm not going to offer you that anymore and we're going to 
we're just gonna we're gonna keep you as comfortable as possible, and hopefully you'll live as long as you possibly can. It sounds like that that's kind of your plan is to just do sure. chemotherapy until the treatment would make your life shorter, and then you would stop. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think. Well, I don't think a lot of people think about these things. <laughs> I think about them a lot, and obviously you have too. Um, <laughs> but. I mean, that's a really hard decision to make as a person who's going through treatment because you are the only one who's sick here and you're the only one going through this treatment in the body that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, I just want to call that out, that that's a really hard decision to make and that's a hard position to be in and it's a courageous choice to make. And um, I I really appreciate your commitment to mm-hmm. that and to... Um, to loving your family and carrying on in the way that you are for the sake of that. I really, I think that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Feels good. Yeah. I feel like we are coming to a close here. Um, okay. Are the, is there, is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? No, I, this has been so good. Because well, good. It, it has really put together just kind of the these life events and all that it's meant um, to me and what we've gone through and and what we want to do at this time and and it's made me realize that even though we, we we have to get down to business and you know we just um, have to follow through with treatment and appointments and things like that, I really have to keep that conversation going with my husband and and yeah. and my daughter and family and friends and but really take care of what he's going through. Um, mm-hmm. And this has really made it brought that to to like the time is now. For us, you know, being able to do this. And Very we're much so. Glad, glad for that. And yeah, I, I think that's really important. I want to highlight what you just said. The time is now. I think that some people kind of they they get this thing that happens to them, and then, like you said, this uh, this kind of runaway train just happens, and you just you get on, and then you just do. You just mm-hmm. do and do and do and do and do and do, and um, I think a, a nice message, a nice message for people to hear from you is, the time is now. Mm-hmm. Whether a person is sick or not, the time is now. Okay. But especially if you're sick, the time is now. Don't miss what's happening. You're in a spot, and now is the time. Say what you want to say before you can't say it um do what you want to do before you can't do it i think those are that's very nice thank you for saying that the time is now you're welcome um thank you. yeah thank you last thing i i, I guess it's kind of become the a tradition so the last last question is how do you want to be remembered oh gosh mm. One, first of all, just mm, that I do love fiercely. I love my people. I love my daughter, my grandchildren, my husband, my son-in-law, my family, my friends. And and I just, I, I hope that I'm remembered for, that I just like to, experience joy and in the experiences that we have together and um and i want to to always i always want to build memories and and um i keep thinking about all the food that we make and share with our friends and 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 we have sunday dinners every sunday with our kids and and Mm -hmm. just how important that is and um and also just that the work that I've done with clients, I just hope my clients have felt loved and taken care of and felt safe with me. 
and that they had healing. Um, And so, and that I I just love my people. Well, if if this hour and a half is any indication, I think that's that's not going to be a problem. (laughs) I think people have gotten the message. Mm. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Sia, for sharing your story with us. As with all of our guests, I appreciate Sia's willingness to be vulnerable. Processing probably the most difficult experience in her life with a stranger for strangers to hear. It's courageous. As is the way that she continues to live with her cancer, seeking out more life in any way possible for the sake of her family. As always, if you or a loved one is living with a serious illness, you have a story to tell. Let us help you capture and share that story so that others can benefit from your experience. Plus, it'll be fun. Please contact us through social media on our website at dttypodcast.com or email us at dttypod at gmail.com. This is Dying to Tell You.